So a few months ago, I was spending time in prayer and just seeking God's face. And I was just asking the Spirit, God, what would you have me feed your people? What would you have me from your word to just preach? And particularly over the summer. And, and as I was praying, I just had this one word that was just impressed on my mind that was just so heavy on me. And that word is tapestry. Now, a tapestry is a beautiful fabric that is woven together by many different threads of different colors. And, and each individual thread comes together to make either a design or in some way creates a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful fabric that each thread individually is just a thread, but all woven together. It creates something stunning and something artistic and just beautiful. Now, I lived, as many of you know, in Abu Dhabi in the Middle East for several years. And living there, Arabs get this. Arabs love to decorate their homes with tapestries. A lot of wall hangings um, are just beautiful designs made of many different color threads. And so Bonner and I have actually fallen in love with tapestries. And our house has multiple tapestries, you know, as wall hangings. And so whenever I was praying and God had just laid this idea of, of tapestry in, in my heart. I just, I, just, I just heard the voice of God just speaking to me. And it was it, not an audible thing, but deep in my soul, I just sensed God saying, Show my people how my word is a stunning tapestry. The Bible is a tapestry. And Renewal Church, this is the message that I believe God has for us, for His people, that He wants us to see how the Bible is God's interwoven masterpiece. That's what the Bible is. And so my goal, my prayer, my, my hope in this summer-long preaching series is, is that we would be in awe of who God is as we see how absolutely amazing the Bible is put together and how it all holds together. That in this series, by God's grace through His Spirit, that you would see just a glimpse of the glory of God. That you would be propelled, like moved into worship and to walk in obedience to God because you know Him better through His Word. And so as we begin this journey on, on tapestry and, and seeing the Bible as one interwoven masterpiece made of many different threads, today in this introduction, we're going to ask four questions. Question number one is, what exactly is the Bible? Like, what, what is it? Um, this is kind of a complex question for those of us maybe raised in church where we're familiar with the Bible, but haven't actually stopped to ask the question, well, what exactly is the Bible? Well, the word Bible itself, so the word is a transliteration from the Greek, biblos. And so like in Spanish, biblia is Bible. Biblos is the Greek word. And so Bible is basically just a transliteration of their, that original language. And all the word means is book. And so Bible means book. And so the Bible is the book. And it's not a book. 
It's not a book that has other religious books that stand next to it. The Bible stands alone. It is the book that reveals who God is. It completely stands alone. So I want to read to you out of 2 Peter chapter 1. So again, 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's read in verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, he's describing here the transfiguration when Jesus was on the mountain and, and Peter saw the glory of Jesus when he was transfigured and he was showing his divine glory. So that's why he says that he was there. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven and how they saw Jesus transfigured. And it says, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention. So he says the prophetic word, the Bible. He says, you will do well to pay attention. He says, as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this text here describes some foundational characteristics of the Bible. So today in particular, I would encourage you to take notes. And so if it's not your normal pattern, I would encourage you to pull out your phone and don't go on Facebook. Pull out your phone and pull out notes or go get a notepad. And I would encourage you to really write some of these things down today that will help you in your walk and so you can review and really grow. And so today you're, you're kind of putting on your, your student hat to really be a learner. And so I encourage you to do that. So let's first see some foundational characteristics of the Bible. And there are four. And there's an acronym that will help you to remember them. The, the acronym is SCAN. So S-C-A-N. And so the first characteristic, the S, is sufficiency. So we affirm the sufficiency of Scripture. What that means, like you see here in verse 19, it says you will do well to pay attention to the words, to the prophetic word. And 2 Timothy 3.17, the Apostle Paul is inspired to write, he says that the Bible is sufficient, he says, for the man of God to be complete, equipped for every good work. In the previous verse, in verse 16, it says that the Bible is inspired or breathed out by God himself. And it says here that it, the Bible allows us to be complete and equipped, ready for every good work. And so the Bible is more than enough. It is sufficient. I think sometimes a lot of evangelicals can rely upon a personal experience and will say things like, 
God told me, or Daddy woke me up and Daddy told me, and this kind of language. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong because even minutes ago I was talking about how I was praying and I just I just sensed this word that God was giving to me, tapestry, for this series. And so, yes, the Spirit does give us impressions and, and leadings, and He does do that. But the Spirit of God speaks to us first and foremost and most clearly and primarily through the revealed Word of God. And so anything that God would say to you and me through personal revelation, if it does not line up with the Word of God, then that revelation is not from the Spirit of God. It is from another spirit. And so anything that you would say, oh, God told me, needs to line up with the Bible because the Bible is this sufficient, inspired word of God. And so any impressions that we get have to be aligned with the word. Otherwise, it's not from God. The Bible is sufficient and it is how we know God. The Bible is how we can be transformed. Apart from the Bible, we would have no hope to know God. There'd be no way we could not rely on our own reason to know God. We need His revelation, which is the Word. So the Word of God is sufficient for us to know who God is, what He is like, what His purpose is for us, how we can be saved. The Bible reveals all of these incredible things, and it's sufficient for us. Number two, the C, and scan. So first, it's the sufficiency of Scripture. Second, we believe in the clarity of Scripture. The message of the Bible is clear. There are some people, typically those that are antagonistic against the faith, that would say things like, you can't know for sure. That's just your interpretation, not my interpretation. And so they'll say things like, you can't know for sure. Well, that's just not true. The Bible is clear. There is a clarity. All you need to know who God is, is your Bible. And then by your faith, you receive the Holy Spirit, who He illuminates. He brings light from the Bible to your mind and your heart so that you can know God and understand it. But the Bible is understandable. The Bible is not incomprehensible. We can know God. We can understand the Bible. The Bible is sufficient, but it also is clear. So we affirm the clarity of Scripture. Why here in verse 19, it says that the Bible is like a lamp that's shining in a dark place. It lights a path, it is clear, and it lets us know who God is. So the S is sufficiency. The C is clarity of Scripture. The A is we affirm the authority of Scripture. The Bible is authoritative. We just read here in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll read again to you verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it says that yes, there were men, there were about 40 or so men that God used to actually write the Bible. And yes, they were writing with their own personality and, and with their own vocabulary and in a particular time in human history. Yes, all that is true. And yet it says here in the Word 
that it was God who breathed, God who inspired, and it says here that men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so there is truly only one author, and that author is the Holy Spirit. So the Bible is authoritative. So we're from the authority of Scripture. Now, what this means is the Bible is also infallible. Infallible means that it is trustworthy. And it's also inerrant. That means that it has no errors. And so we have from the Bible is not a myth. We just read here in verse 16. It says that we did not devise clever myths. The ancient Greeks had all kinds of myths where they tried to define reality and they, they worshiped these gods. But the Greeks didn't really care if Poseidon was real or not, or Zeus, or if Hercules was his his illegitimate son. Like these things didn't really matter. It didn't matter if, if, if these gods actually existed. They were myths that helped the Greeks to make sense of life. No Greek would ever say that there was historical evidence for the existence of Zeus. And yet, the Bible and the one true God, Jesus is revealed in history. And the Bible is authoritative because it is verifiable. It is historical. It is real. Jesus is not a myth. He is the eternal Son of God who came into this world in our human timeline, in our existence. He really came and He really lived and really died and was resurrected and is alive today. And we mark our years, 2020, since Jesus. The Bible is the supreme authority. We need it and we submit ourselves to it. Lastly, the end, necessity. So we affirm the sufficiency, that's the S, the clarity, C, the authority, the A, and N, the necessity of Scripture. We need the Bible. Without the Bible, we would have no way of knowing who God is. We'd have no way of knowing how to be saved. We'd have no way of, of defining morality, what is right and what is wrong. We'd have no way to understand how the world came into existence. We would be in complete darkness and in chaos and enslaved to our sin and have no way out. And we would not even know our purpose. We'd have no hope. There is a necessity of Scripture so that we can know who God is and who we are and how He designed us to live and where our history will end with Him in heaven. And so these four key words, the sufficiency, the clarity, authority, and necessity of Scripture are foundational, and our church affirms these things, but this doesn't answer exactly what the Bible actually is. I'm describing some foundational realities about the Bible, but what exactly is it? If you grew up in church, then again, you're familiar with the Bible, but I want you to really think to you, really, what is a Bible? Like, what is it? And don't give me your best Sunday school answer. You can say, oh, the Bible is the Word of God. Well, of course it is. We all know that. Like that's a, That seems like a very easy Sunday school answer. But I want you to actually think critically. Like for you, what difference, what actual use does the Bible have in your every single just daily life? 
does the Bible even impact? What do you really believe the Bible is? And in the Bible Belt here in Central Texas, I'm not making any assumptions that we actually agree on what the Bible is fundamentally. Let me give you some examples. There are people here in Central Texas that would say that the Bible is God's Word. Yes, yes, they would say that. But practically, what they really believe the Bible is, is just a collection of religious writings. That's what it is to them. It's nothing more than just a historical collection of just religious things that were written many years ago. Or maybe to you, the Bible is nothing more than just like random moral stories that you keep in your pocket and you pull out the right moral story at the right time to teach your kids how to be a good boy or a good little girl. And we treat the Bible really more like Aesop's fables than the actual word of God. And so just like in the fables, you have like talking animals. The Bible has talking animals and a floating zoo and a call to be a good little boy, just like David was and killed his giants. And we we use the Bible as just moralism. And it's nothing more than like fables, myths, but not really the word of God or other people would think, and I know this is true, I know some of you, I get this, some people see the Bible as nothing more than like a theological dictionary. And the Bible is really just relegated down to just being a book with some really big words and some long definitions that confuse a lot of people that have not been to seminary. And the Bible just becomes a way for us to define who God is and just have Theological categories that we're in this camp or that camp or you're over on that camp and when the Bible just becomes a theological dictionary. For other people, the Bible is really more of just like, I'll call it a inspirational one-liner. And if you go to Hobby Lobby, you'll see this everywhere. You, you'll see all of this furniture and, and you, you'll see like these wall hangings and decor that has the Bible slapped on it with out of context and with, with no actual understanding. People decorate their homes and they love the Bible because they see it as just inspirational and all these really great one-liners to put around your house. And yet, does the Bible actually impact because the Bible is not fundamentally, it is not just a theological dictionary or a collection of religious material. And it's not just inspirational one-liners. It's far more than just moralistic fables. What exactly is the Bible? Well, the Bible is God's self-revelation. It is God's self disclosure. He is telling us who he is and what he is like. The Bible reveals the character and the purpose of God. And so God is telling us who he is and why he made the world. The Bible does have theology in it, but the Bible at its essence is God's revelation so that we can know him. The Bible is a single story. The Bible is not a collection of a bunch of just random historical or religious stories. It's not 
random. There's chronology. There is sequence. The Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation has one story, one theme, and it all fits together. There is nothing random or chaotic or unknowable about the Bible. The Bible is the story that God is telling, the ultimate story, the greatest story ever told from the very lips of God Himself. It reveals again who God is and why we're here and how we can be saved. The Bible defines this story is literally defining reality itself. Which is leading us now to our second question. So first we're asking, what exactly is the Bible? Well, it is God's revelation. And it is a story. It's an epic narrative. Question number two. Well, if it's a story, then what is the Bible's main storyline? So what is the plot? If, if it's a story, then it has to have a storyline. Well, Luke 24 reveals that to us. If you don't remember the exact context of Luke 24, Jesus has died and resurrected. People are talking about the whole thing, and, and there's these two disciples, and they're, they're on this road, and they're walking to a town called Emmaus. And, and these two men were deeply sad. They were so grieved because Jesus died. They believed, they had a hope that He really was the Messiah, but He died. And so they're not sure what to make of this. And they're just talking about this on this road to Emmaus. Luke 24, verse 25, we pick up the story right then and there. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So Jesus calls these two men foolish and slow of heart to believe the prophets. Slow of heart to believe the Old Testament. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he be and beginning with Moses, Moses being the first five books, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, some called the Torah or the Pentateuch. He says, beginning with Moses, he says, and all the prophets, so the rest of the Old Testament. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you catch that? Jesus finds these two men trying to figure out, understand what has happened. The Messiah died. And Jesus says, didn't? Haven't you read the Old Testament? Don't you know? Everything from Genesis to Malachi, the whole Old Testament Revealed that I had to die and be resurrected, enter into glory. And then Jesus, after his resurrection, what does he do? He basically does an Old Testament survey. He goes through the Old Testament and he shows them how it says all the scriptures concerning himself. How the entire Old Testament points to him. And then later that evening... These men, their eyes are open and they know that it's Jesus. And, and Jesus then gathers with the rest of his disciples. And once again, he shows them where the biblical story leads to him, 
Same chapter, Luke 24. Let's jump down now and story to verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, and that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Absolutely amazing. He says everything in the Old Testament, he says the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of it is fulfilled in me. The Bible was written pointing to me. And so therefore, now you go and be my witnesses to all nations. In light of who Jesus is, he sends out his people. So what this text is doing, it's, it's helping us understand the identity and the purpose of Jesus. Both who he is and what his purpose is. And when we begin to understand the identity of Jesus... Then we can see the purpose of Jesus, and what that does is it helps us understand our identity and our purpose, because we're made in the image of God. And so if we can then begin through the Word to understand Jesus' identity and purpose, then we're going to know our identity and purpose, because ours flows from Jesus, because we are made to display His glory. And so here you see the identity of Jesus. Who is He? The Messiah, God in the flesh, the promised one to come rescue His people from their sin. This is who Jesus is, His identity. And what is His purpose? He says He came to die in our place, to take away our sin, to remove the curse of sin and death. You're seeing His purpose of redemption. So what is our identity? Well, our identity is in Jesus. And we belong to Him. We're forgiven and reconciled because of His work on the cross. And so what is our, our purpose? It flows from His to proclaim the gospel to all nations so that they can know of what Jesus did on the cross and they can be forgiven and enter into the joy of knowing Jesus. So understanding the Bible and how Jesus is revealing himself is so foundational for a believer. God is telling a story of a people that he created, a people that he deeply loved and wanted close to his heart. And the story of how he lost his loved ones and how he moved heaven and earth through Jesus to bring us back to have his sons and daughters come home. This is the purpose of God. He wants us near to him, to worship him, to enjoy him. And in the process, displaying his glorious character. The Bible really is an epic narrative. The Bible is this amazing story. And the Bible is not boring. 
Now, sometimes preachers are boring, and if I am, I apologize. I strive not to be. Like, I'm not trying to be boring. If I am, uh, I will ask God to help me be less so. But if you're ever bored by the Bible, then that's either very poor teaching or preaching, or it's just that your heart is far from God, and you're not understanding how absolutely stunning and magnificent the Bible is. It is not boring. At all. It is amazing. It is a masterpiece. The Bible storyline is of God redeeming a people through Jesus for the display of his glory. Let me give you four words. This is the summary of the storyline. And we'll come back to this over and over every week throughout the series. But just to introduce it here today, there's four words that are the summary of the storyline of the Bible. The first one is creation. And you see that in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, beginning of the Bible. You see, everything that is non-God is created by God. God made everything. And His purpose is to display His glory. So we exist to be in all of Jesus, to reflect Him to worship Him. So you see creation, Genesis 1 and 2. So the first one is creation. Number two, you see fall. This is in Genesis chapter 3, following the storyline. In Genesis 3, we see the fall. We see humanity rebelling against God. We see humanity that then is cursed and is plunged into despair and sickness and darkness and sinfulness. And so this fall is what you see in chapter 3, where now it's broken between us and God. And our world is broken. So you see creation, and you see fall. Now, Genesis chapter 4 is where you begin to see the rest. Really, it begins in chapter 3, because chapter 3 has both fall and also number 3, redemption. And it goes all the way from Genesis 3, Genesis 4, all the way through the whole Old Testament, all the New Testament, all the way to Revelation chapter 20. So Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. Genesis 3 is fall. And then Genesis, second half of Genesis 3, all the way to Revelation 20. The entire Bible, essentially, is about redemption all about Jesus and bringing his people back into the garden, back to our original purpose of knowing God, of enjoying him, of displaying his glory. God has a plan and his plan is redemption. And then the very end of the story, Revelation 21 and 22, you have the fourth key word, consummation. The completion of God's plan. Now the Garden of Eden is the whole new earth. And you have a multitude that no one can count that is worshiping the Lamb who was slain for eternity, crying out, thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And because redemption takes up pretty much the whole Bible, if you want one word, What is the storyline of the Bible? That word is redemption. Every single book, every single story, every single text, 
all of it points to Jesus and his plan to redeem, to restore, to renew a people for himself that will enjoy him and worship him forever. And you see this beginning in Genesis. So Genesis points to Jesus who would one day come to crush the head of the serpent. Exodus, the next book, points to Jesus who would one day deliver us from slavery. The next books, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, point to Jesus who fulfilled the law on our behalf. The next book, Joshua, points to Jesus who defeated the enemy and gives us rest in the presence of God. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. All of those books together are about the kingdom. All of those points to Jesus who is the true king over his people. Ezra and Nehemiah points to Jesus who restores his people after failure. Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Songs, all of these sometimes called wisdom literature, points to Jesus who is the wisdom of God. All the prophets, the four major and the twelve minor prophets, all of the prophets point to Jesus. Promises all kept in Jesus, pointing to the day that he will bring us home to the new earth in the presence of God. Everything from Genesis to Malachi, the entire Old Testament, points to Jesus and his redemption. It is a stunning story. Let's continue. What is the third question? So why is this important? Why is it important that you know God's story? So God has woven many different themes that all come together. So there's this one theme of redemption, but there's many individual themes. And so I'm going to describe these as threads. Each theme is like a thread that God takes and weaves together to create one tapestry. So God is weaving many different biblical themes or threads into the fabric of his story of redemption. This is what the Bible is. And there's actually a name for identifying these various different themes that hold the Bible together. It's called biblical theology. Biblical theology is, is a practice of identifying primary themes that run from Genesis all the way to Jesus, fulfilled in him, and then go all the way to Revelation, and it connects the Bible together as a whole. And so it is a beautiful thing, and it will cause your heart to explode with joy because you're getting to know God better through His Word. And I have faith that you're going to love being able to see this, understand the Bible better, and know God better. So why is it important that you know how the Bible fits together? Well, because you will have a deeper appreciation for the Bible, a deeper understanding of who God is and what He is like and what your purpose is and how to live it out. And so understanding the Bible better lets you know God better, which is what would lead you to be hungry for more of Him, more of His Word. It'll change how you think, how you feel, your desires. It'll transform you. And so that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for a church that is just in awe of God. 
Because when you see the Bible as one unified story, it will lead you straight to Jesus. And as a church, we treasure the Bible. We study the Bible and we submit ourselves to the Bible's authority because the Bible leads us to know God himself. So what's the plan for this summer as we come to a close? We're going to work through, from now until August, through the entire Old Testament. And some of you are like, what? Did he just? Yes, we are. We're going to work through, book by book, the entire Old Testament. Now, there are 39 books, and there's not 39 weeks in the summer. So we're not going to go through every single book specifically, but we are going to work through the entire Old Testament as a sweeping overview by focusing on all of these individual threads that are woven through it to Jesus, to Revelation, and how it impacts our lives today. And so, for example, I'll give you an example here, covenant. Covenant is a theme that's revealed in Genesis, that is carried on through the entire Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus, and it definitely impacts our lives today. There's more themes like creation, mercy, promise, rest. And we're going to work through each one of these threads, these themes, and we will look back to see where it began in the garden because every single one of these themes begin in the Garden of Eden. And then we will follow that thread, that theme forward through the Old Testament and see how Jesus fulfills it and then points it forward to Revelation and then see it all how it comes together and how it is meant to greatly impact our lives today as we follow and trust Jesus. And so my prayer is that as we begin to understand how God reveals who He is and reveals His purpose and defines who we are, that we will have a, a transformation in His presence. So last question as we wrap up. How do you find your place in this story? So how do you find your place in this story that God is telling? Well, first of all, I'll just say this here briefly. Um, it's not your story, it's God's story. So it's not about you. Oftentimes we put ourselves into the place of the hero. Like, oh, you can be like Joshua and knock down the walls in your life. Or you can be like David and you can kill the giants that are opposing you. Or you can be like Nehemiah, who was a brave and amazing leader. No. No, all of these heroes point to Jesus. They're fulfilled in Jesus. We are never the hero. We are the one needing to be saved. We're the ones that are looking to David who points to Jesus, looking to Joshua who points to Jesus, looking to Nehemiah who points to Jesus. We're the ones that are broken and desperate and needy, and we're the ones that need saving. We don't do the saving. And so maybe we know our place as the ones who are being saved by the mercy of God. And may we recognize our place as a humble servant who has the joy of being used in the hands of the king. Man, when you see what God can do through you, it will explode your heart with joy. But it's not for your glory. It's not you. It's God doing it. It's just us submitting and trusting and depending and yielding and surrendering. So how do we find, how do we, 
How do we do that? How do we find our place in the story that God is telling? Because God is telling a story, and it includes you. It isn't about you. It's about His glory, but it does include you. How? Well, read the Bible. That's the first most important place to start. Read the Word. Spend time in His presence through prayer. Walk in the Spirit. Enjoy Him. And I promise you, He'll lead you. I'll close with this, Romans 12, chapter I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so it says that our minds are renewed by God's word, and when our minds are being renewed through the Spirit because of the word, what happens is we will then know the will of God. He will show you where you're supposed to serve. He will show you where to be on mission. The Spirit will, will give you that insight. You'll feel it in your soul. You'll know. Doors will open. You, if you're asking that question, if you're wondering, how do I find my place in God's story? I would say begin with enjoying God. Begin with feeding your soul on the Word. Being in awe of Him. And His Spirit will lead you. And you'll know where he's calling you. And you'll see him work through you. And he'll do a change in you. And you'll have your character shaped, conformed to Jesus' character. And you will display his glory. You will know. As you respond to God's word here in this gathering, we're going to sing a powerful song called In Christ Alone. The Bible is all about Christ alone. His work. His glory. And so as we sing this, may our hearts be gripped with a hunger for Jesus to grow, to display who He is, His character. And may we see the Bible as God's interwoven masterpiece.